Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining a very special episode of the Great Dynamics Podcast. My name is Ahmed Hassan. Today, we're going to speak about uh, the second edition of the Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare series of games. Uh, today, it's Modern Warfare 2. I'm going to be doing that with your host for today, which is Marcel Plishta. Marcel is a, a former intelligence analyst that worked for the DIA and a team member at Great Dynamics. Secondly, it's Michael Elmer, our head of research and a former Marine turned intelligence analyst. And thirdly, our friend Thomas Moore, who is uh, a former U.S. Army airborne medic and uh, is currently finishing his studies at Georgetown um, in Russian and other security studies. So, guys... Thank you for, for being here and uh, over to you, Marcel. So we're going to be we're going to be diving into Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 here. There was a game between Call of Duty 4 and Modern Warfare 2, but that was focused on uh, World War 2. So that would have if we had done that, that would have been more about, you know, um, history than than sort of modern affairs. So we're going to avoid that. In general, though, I'd say that that Modern Warfare 2 and, and 3, which we're going to be covering soon, both suffer from a good deal of, of sort of sequelitis. You know, everything had to be bigger, everything had to be louder because it's the sequel. So to do that, it became, you know, even less grounded than it was and more in the realm of, of like James Bond or, or Mission Impossible. Uh, it's also way more convoluted, as we'll see, there's some wild stuff that goes down and it quickly descends in, into nonsense. So let's get into the game here. Do we, do you guys, do you guys actually remember the, uh, the plot of Call of Duty 4 as I described it to you? Michael, do you remember it? Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to forget that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'm proud of you because um, because the developers did not uh, remember a lot of the plot. Um, much of much of what? <laughs> Never let that be in a way of a good story, right? No, no, indeed not. And I mean, it's you know, some characters come back, and and especially three, you know, has a lot of flashbacks to what happens in Call of Duty Four. But it really, it really does uh, just descend into in, into some into more of its own story, and they they sort of forget a lot about a lot of what happened in the last game. So uh, it starts with a montage so that we remember the key points of the last game, you know, the, the nuclear weapon going off, the, the Marine invasion in the Middle East, and then, you know, the SAS doing sneaky things in, in Russia, and then, you know, the nuclear launch, and then finally um, you, Soap, shooting the bad guy, Imran Zakayev. Then, you know, after, after we were sort of reminded of all of that, because we're, you know, we're 12-year-olds and we have the brains of birds, it takes us back, it takes us like five years later, just hard jump, five years later after the events of Call of Duty 4. So now it's 2016. The first game took place in 2011. So this is the year, like, in your mind, you know, Harambe died. Justin Bieber was making a comeback as a pop artist. These are the the main, <laughs> these are the main things that happened this year. Um, but this game was made in 2009. So, you know, Harambe was still alive and Justin Bieber didn't yet need to make a comeback as a pop artist. So this, that's sort of the the time as we, as we have it. So what's happened, what's happened to our, to our heroes uh, since the events of the last game? Well, here, instead of playing as the SAS, like we did for most of Call of Duty 4, there's now what's called Task Force 141, which includes a lot of SAS guys from the first game, like Soap, but Captain Price is nowhere to be found, and this is sort of a, a multinational unit. So it's, it's supposed to be Americans, Australians, and British people, but it's mostly, it's mostly Brits, from what I can tell. I will say, in terms of realism, I mean, the, the SAS was involved in task forces, like in, you know, like the early 2000s, like for the invasion of Iraq, but but that was as a as a unit. It's not like they were taking specific people from the SAS and forming you know its own 
uh, forming a special forces unit that's like multinational commanded by like an American on retainer, which is what sort of this group is in this game. In in Russia, the ultranationalists who were the bad guys in the last game and whose boss we shot seemingly won the war, which is kind of crazy because these guys were proliferating nuclear weapons and attempted to to nuke the United States. But I guess the rest of the world was just like, yeah, sure, you know, you guys can, you know, win the civil war and, and be in charge of Russia's entire nuclear arsenal. What could go wrong? But yeah, so they won and they're like, they're building statues of Zakayev, you know, the, the bad guy from the last game that you shot. And, and he's like on horseback, like he's Peter the Great. It's sort of very, you know, very stereotypical Russian thing. The new big Russian bad guy uh, has emerged. And this is one of Zakayev's former lieutenants named Makarov. Whether he was called Makarov because of the gun or just because that's a Russian name, I don't know. But, you know, it sounds it sounds scary. So even though the ultranationals won, he's not part of the government. Um, he's decided to go become a terrorist committing like horrible atrocities across Russia in the name of Russian nationalism? I don't know. It's hard to say. But the game has a lot of story threads here, but it's it's important to keep in mind, because Makarov doesn't start showing up to the last half of it, that he's sort of the big bad for the next two games. He's like the criminal mastermind, you know, Joker kind of guy. A question for you, Marcel. Why do you think, I mean, we touched, touched upon it the last time, but why do you think that they have such a propensity to use the SAS? I think, I mean, I think the SAS have sort of a, a reputation for being cool and it, it's, it's, it's a variation for the player so that they're not just playing Americans, at, but it's a variation that's like safe. So they don't have to worry about, you know, the sort of cognitive dissonance of, of I don't know, playing like a, you know, playing as a Russian or, or playing as, you know, someone from a non-English speaking country, I think um, it's sort of to, you know, give that sort of five eyes, you know, US, UK special relationship kind of thing. Um, and, and I think most people are aware of, of the SAS as a, as a special forces unit. So I think, I think that, sort of, that sort of explains it. I think also it's uh, easier for somebody playing the game who's not living in the West to accept playing as, a, as an SAS and not as a SEAL. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I, I guess it makes sense. I mean, I guess you couldn't get away with using like the special boat service or something either because they're just, they're, even though they're, you know, also a special forces unit, they're just less well known as well. But yeah, no, it, it definitely adds that that sort of international appeal. Um, they didn't, despite the fact that there's Australians in Task Force 141, you never play as or see any Australians. So that, that was, I guess, a missed opportunity. But I suppose their, their special forces aren't as, aren't as um, media famous. Uh, so I guess they don't count. But yeah, going into, going into the game itself, because this was sort of, you know, the, this was sort of that, that bridge, that timeline bridge. We start the game with a monologue by a new character. Uh, this is General, the name General Shepard. You get told this towards the end, so it's not, but it's not really a twist. He's the general who is in charge of the invasion of the Middle Eastern country in the last game. And so, so he was, you know, he was the, the genius who, who saw that there might be a nuclear weapon in a city and was like, let me put all my soldiers there. Let me put, you know, let me put the entire U.S. military as close to that nuclear weapon as possible. That's that guy. So now he's in charge of Task Force 141, which sounds like a demotion. I mean, you know, going from like, you know, it sounds like, you know, coordinating an invasion is sort of like a three-star, four-star general role. And running, a, and running, you know, a task force sounds more like a, you know, one-star kind of deal. But basically, he, get, he goes on this monologue and about, you know, the importance of having the best military in the world and, and things like that. And then he tells this random sergeant, who I guess had to listen to this entire diatribe, that he's looking for, like, a great soldier from his squad for the task force. And, then, and that's sort of the, the, the prelude to what happens. Then you start actually playing. Um, you play as a U.S. Army Ranger named Joseph Allen. Um, he's in Afghanistan. Instead of sort of unnamed Middle Eastern countries, I guess we're 
pulling it into real countries. The tutorial is you, instead of, instead of it being like SAS training, like the last game, the tutorial is you showing Afghan army guys how to shoot. Um, and the game is extremely condescending about this. Like, you know, like you're, you're shooting your gun and they're like standing around fidgeting. They're like looking down the barrels of their guns. Like, it's like, it's like, it's like wildly condescending towards the, the Afghan army. And I mean, I realize they, they, you know, when they existed, they didn't, they didn't have a stellar reputation, but it was, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy how, how the game was just like, yep, uh, the A and A suck and you need to show them how to do basic things. Maybe they only saw the, the, the video of doing the jumping jacks. Oh yeah. <laughs> Remember that video? Yeah, it's, it, it, yeah, it's exactly like that, but with like actual firearms. And in fact, if you, if you hang around, um, after you're supposed to leave, your your guy, your, one of the sergeants, like pulls one of the ANA guys out and has them start shooting, and they're just like missing the target. It's like ten, it's like maybe ten yards away. Like you just need to point the gun at this big steel target, and he's like missing and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, you guys, you guys went the extra mile to make the ANA look even worse. But anyways, that seems mm-hmm. kind of like I don't know if the correct term would be meta, but like <laughs> it's 2009, and we're in this coin operation where the whole point of like you know the whole point of what we're doing is trying to like quote unquote win the hearts and minds of the people and then you have a game that's like prolific in american culture (laughs) that is like making fun of the people that we're supposed to be like bolstering like which i know is not is not like you know like it's not like oh call of duty is like the thing that's gonna like make the afghan war go south you know like i i doubt a lot of them are playing call of duty but it's just kind of interesting that like you know, that would be something that's included in a game that's pretty attached to the military, yeah. whether or not it tries to be. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, it, it comes, it, it reflects something, but it also sort of influences things, right? Because if you're, you know, the Call of Duty at least was very popular in, in my experience among military people. So, you know, the idea that you'd, you'd sort of play this game and then be deployed to Afghanistan with this sort of preconception about, you know, the quality of the ANA is, um, uh, it's something. <laughs> But yeah, so you so you leave you leave that whole problematic you know set of can of can of beans uh, set of worms, and you um you know you walk you walk through the base, and you know it's it's actually it's a little bit more realistic. Like you know, there's there's some like rap playing. There's like two guys playing uh, basketball. They're like someone's fixing a tank. Then you get to an ob- obstacle course. The guy there tells you to try really hard at this obstacle course because General Shepard, the guy who's talking at the beginning that he's looking for this amazing soldier, uh, is there. And it's not like the ship course from Call of Duty Four, the with with the with the wooden the wooden training course that you go through. It's a little bit like that, but they add in civilians, which is the only, as far as I can tell, the only good and realistic change they make is that they in this game throughout it they add civilians back into war zones where it's um, where it's a populated area. Yeah, so you finish you finish that up. You know, I didn't do very well as normal, and just as you get out, um, you know, everyone's everyone's running around, you know, with their heads on fire, and they're like, "We got to go." You know, the bridge to this town nearby was destroyed, and so we got to go get the bridge layer, and we have to lay the bridge. We have to. It's a. It's like a bridge laying vehicle, like a bridge laying tank. It. It sort of um, can lay a temporary bridge. We see them in Ukraine actually a lot in that conflict now, where where it can it can quickly lay a bridge for you guys to get across. So you head over, and as you head over, Shepard does this does this monologue to us again about how war is the only guarantor of freedom and how like you have to have the biggest stick and you have to have the best possible guy swinging it and it's a vital mission to protect democracy and um fair warning i'm not going to go through all of them but shepherd monologues a lot in this game and it's always it's always like this kind of strange like blood and iron 
you know, kind of kind of stuff. My, in my experience, generals don't normally talk like this. It's like a teeny bit like uh, former General Mattis uh, and, and former Secretary of Defense Mattis. But Mattis is more like laconic and precise in his speech. This is just like, I don't know, it's like it's like almost megalomaniacal for a guy that's supposed to be doing a lot of paperwork and managing, a, you know, managing a, a, a special forces unit. So it hard cuts you um, into the middle of the battle around this this bridge that just got destroyed. And 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 General Shepard is with you, despite the fact that you're on the front lines. He's like with you and he's like firing a, a, a 44 Magnum at the bad guys, like a like a revolver, like a Dirty Harry style revolver as 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 like a three or four star general. And and by the way, they never say that the bad guys that you're fighting are the Taliban. I would like to hear from Thomas if that's uh, a gun a general would take into battle with him. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like uh, I was just thinking of um, General Austin Miller, former JSOC commander. When you see the photos of him in uh, Afghanistan, he's got a Roland special, you know, Glock 19 with a compensator <laughs> and, a, and a red dot on it. And he's actually wearing a plate carrier instead of a leather shoulder holster like uh, like General Shepard, you know. <laughs> The, the making him so much larger than than life in the game. Yeah, that that actually that's actually interesting because because a big change between Call of Duty Four and this game is that most of the soldiers have um, the the terms Gucci kit. Like you know, usually usually people in the military they have you know their standard their standard weapon. Um, and in this, everyone's got like a different weapon. It's like a Call of Duty multiplayer game, right? You have everyone's got like a, their own red dot sight, or they've got you know an extended magazine, or they've got, you know, some kind of crazy non-standard thing that would be um, very troublesome for supply lines. But uh, I guess, I guess they don't have that in this. And, and, and by the way, I mean, you know, Shepard's on the front lines with you. He's firing his, his pistol at the bad guys out of effective range of that weapon. And, and, and it seems like he's in charge of this operation as well. So he's like simultaneously as a Marine general in charge of an army unit in Afghanistan and a special forces task force. Which is, I mean, that's a lot of hats, you know, that's a lot of plates to be spinning. So that's, um, you know, I don't know if that's impressive or kind of strange, but there you go. So bridge layer tank comes along, lays the bridge down under fire. Um, and you guys decide, you know what, you know, there's, you know, there's a bunch of Taliban in this, in this town and stuff. We're just going to drive in with like 10 guys in our Humvees. We're going to get them. Um, so you go through these narrow alleys and, and stuff and there's there's like civilians everywhere and and uh and surprise uh you get ambushed here uh the enemy has rpgs and technicals um so it's kind of i mean with with these kinds of heavy weapons it's strange that that they would take this fight at all like maybe wait for more people to show up you know the taliban aren't going anywhere but you know reinforcements would presumably be you know coming to you if you needed them um so anyways you fight through the town you know you miraculously survive then you get on the complete other side of this town um, and Shepard is somehow has somehow teleported to the other side of the town. And he's like, good job annihilating that entire town and losing a ton of Rangers. Uh, you know, you're with me now, Private Allen. You've proven yourself as as the best warfighter out here. And then that mission ends. Next thing you know, and 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 next thing you know is really next thing you know, because this is another one of those games where the entire events take place over the course of one week. Private Private Allen, who you're just playing, is recruited into Task Force 141, but there's a massive CIA logo on screen. So I guess this like random ranger private is like in the CIA the very next day. Uh, and also that Shepard is now CIA. Um, <laughs> nothing really makes sense about this. Um, but Shepard explains that the rest of the task force is on like a secret mission. Um, so, so it's sort of, 
cuts away from Private Allen and, and cuts towards to this this other mission. But do you guys have any questions about the the sort of CIA Task Force One Four One stuff before I move on? There are plenty of task forces where you know, elements of the military and the CIA work together side by mm-hmm. side. But I don't know what uh, one thing I'm trying to understand is what is the goal of this game? Is it is it to make something as entertain, uh, entertaining as possible? Is it like the uh, the messaging seems a bit all over the place? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not looking at subtext. I don't know. <laughs> the main message is that it's just entertainment, right? There are games that are that try to be very realistic. That um, I don't. That we're probably not going to talk about in the podcast because it's kind of boring to be realistic. But but there is there is sort of that subtext and those sub messages about sort of the value of the military and 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 the role of the military and how cool on an individual basis soldiers are and you know how they always know what's right and command always knows what's wrong, you know the, those sorts of things. So so yeah, it's sort of you know they're 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 doing both at once, in a sense. Yeah. So Alan Alan's in the CIA now. You know, it was, it's the ultimate lateral move for him, and he's also part of this task force. And General Shepard's like, oh, the rest of the task force, they're not here right now. You know, they're on a secret mission to recover an ACS module from a U.S. military satellite that crashed in Kazakhstan and taken by Russians to a military base in Kazakhstan. They don't clarify what ACS refers to. I think it's altitude control system. That would make sense. But they really, they, they don't spell out this, uh, this acronym at all. So I think it's just a science fiction gimmicky kind of thing. So anyways, you're now playing as a member of the task force named Roach, or at least that's his call sign or nickname. And you're along with Soap, who, was, who you played as in Call of Duty 4. You sneak into this Russian airbase in the middle of a, of a massive snowstorm by scaling a sheer ice cliff. Uh, you can sort of already see the like James Bondy elements of it coming out. You, you sneak around the base, you grab the module, uh, you get discovered, and then you, you escape with it via a high-octane snowmobile chase to the extraction point where a friendly helicopter magically just, you know, flew right next to a, a foreign airbase without being discovered. That itself has a lot of, like, it, the airbase itself has, um, like, MiG-29s and, and, you know, at least for the time, fairly advanced Russian aircraft that could, that could absolutely, like, either detect or threaten a helicopter. Regardless, it magically gets within a mile of the airbase without being discovered. You get in there, mission accomplished. I'm sure this ACS module won't matter at all and won't be a problem for the rest of the story that the Russians had access to one, a U.S. satellite for a while. <laughs> Next mission. We then, we then cut back to Private Allen, CIA now. I guess he's not a private anymore. Shepard's brilliant plan is with less than two days of training, he's going to insert Private Allen into the terrorist Makarov's inner circle leading up to a major terrorist attack. I'm going to list some questions here that were not answered by the game. Does Private Allen speak Russian? Would anyone trust Private Allen? Was information, <laughs> was, was information linking his face to the U.S. military wiped? Would the CIA agree to send one of, him over one of their officers? Would the CIA agree to send anyone, <laughs> to send anyone instead of just buying off someone in that group? Would the U.S. refuse to share information about an impending terrorist attack with the Russian government or the location of a terrorist with the Russian government, even if they were ultranationalists? I don't know if you have any questions to add to that. There's, uh, there's several. There's several. I just don't understand, like, when you have the creative freedom to write for a game, why not, like, at least take some steps to make it somewhat more believable? 
And I, I don't know if like, I guess like, yeah, maybe the general public isn't as aware of like the finer details of the intelligence community. But then you have like a game where there's an opportunity to maybe like work some of that in. And and then mm. instead it's like, oh, let's just keep like reinforcing these like insane portrayals of things in like the most inaccurate mm. way possible. And then that further compounds on public opinion about the intelligence community, you know? It just I don't know. Yeah. I, I I maybe I'm just being nitpicky, but like it, it's like that just the amount of question like the, the questions you just said alone are like absurd. But just the, the thought of like <laughs> a private, you know, for one, I don't I don't know. I'm not I wasn't in the army. Maybe you could speak to this, Thomas, but I don't think someone could make it to be a ranger and still be a private. Like it seems like the, the pipeline to get promoted is pretty like, I don't know. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, you can be in Ranger Bat as a private, but pretty much only if you're infantry or, like, your one-station unit training, because it has to be just so short, because uh, RASP is only, the Ranger selection is only, like, two months. So you can you can literally be through basic uh, Ranger selection and then jump school and then at a, bat, a battalion within, you know, five months. So, and then you, so I think it's technically possible to go there without, like, being an E1, no rank at all, um, rather than a, a PV2, which is like what you think of when you think of the private rank, because you don't get PFC to like uh, a year or a year and a half. When when do you get recruited by the CIA? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like I think it's, I think it, uh, up until this point, at least, it's like the perfect recruiting tool for the U.S. Army. It's like join the army within you know six months, you'll be doing you know shooting up airports for the cia (laughs) the possibilities are endless yeah you want to see the world you want to get that dodge charger son here you go but yeah as you alluded to thomas we're about to talk about the terrorist attack um and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna describe it and it's kind of disturbing so if someone's listening is someone listening is particularly sensitive to to those sorts of topics like terrorism and, and violence against civilians it might be worth just skipping ahead a bit. Um, you're actually, when you first play this game, they give you an option to skip out this content entirely because um, this was sort of a, not really related to realism, but but when the game came out, this was a very controversial element of it. Um, and, you know, the accusation, the accusation since then has been that they purposely sort of put more controversial things in in order to uh, generate generate media, you know, media interest in these games. But that's, a, that's sort of a separate issue. Um, essentially, the attack is you. The CIA conscript, Makarov, the big bad, personally, and and three of his guys, you walk into a civilian airport, and you all have light machine guns, and basically you massacre the people waiting in line at security, and then you walk down past security into the gates and waiting area, and you massacre all of them. You as the player do not have to shoot any civilians, um, and in some versions of the game, you actually, I think the German version, you actually lose the game if you try to do that. You do, however, have to kill security guards, police, and FSB to proceed through the mission, which is weird because, like, I mean, in terms of things the FSB does that's bad, I don't think stopping an airport shooting is really the <laughs> is really the the objectionable thing about like Russia's security, state security services. But um, who am I to judge? I guess. So um, the attack proceeds like this, and then we can sort of talk about how plausible this is. You go you go through the security lines down into the waiting area near the gates, you know, uh, shooting everybody. This takes like five minutes. You walk out onto the tarmac to the ground level. Um, and this is where the FSB confront you. And it and it seems that like a lot of Russian police have now like 
encircled the airport generally. They, they've cordoned the area off. You have a shootout with the FSB. They're, they're sort of SWAT. They sort of look like a SWAT element. And then you waltz into like a staff area of the airport where your accomplice is waiting with an ambulance that will take you out. All of this is done with no masks or face coverings. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 more, or less, that's more or less how it proceeds. I don't think that tracks with any existing terrorist attack on an airport. Uh, it tends to be bombings. No, it doesn't. And the way that airport security is set up, there's like layered defense, right? Mm-hmm. So for you to just make it even that far, with that type of weaponry is crazy. And I don't remember exactly the the kit that the FSB Alpha guys were wearing, but which is the guys that would respond to an mm-hmm. incident like this. But it's highly, highly unrealistic unless... You know, somebody on the inside, very high up, was able to do this and, and was was able to get through. Even the people that are very high up have to go through the most stringent security checks. So the, the amount of people that have to know about this gets to the point that this would get found out. There's a reason why something like this never has happened before. I think the closest that something like this happened was in Brussels maybe 15 years ago, where the guy got to security by like ramming and, and I don't remember exactly what the scenario then was, but in reality, this is highly, highly unlikely. The one that jumps out to me was, was the attempted attack on Glasgow airport, but that was more of a, that was more of a, an explosive in, in a vehicle and they didn't make it past the, um, the exterior. And actually no one died in that attack, which was, which was, um, what you, well, I mean, the, the guy who set himself on fire died, but. Um, no civilians were harmed in, in the making of that particular attack. But yeah, so just to be clear, this this plan ends up working out magically for them. But this is kind of a, a terrible plan for Makarov, right? Who would be very likely killed or captured trying to do this, especially with the amount of time they take. Um, and it's an even worse plan for the CIA. They seemingly had no plan to stop Makarov prior to the shooting. And then they had their officer participate in the shooting and then don't seem to have a way to extract him, which is, I mean... <laughs> That's just risk on risk right there. And and the mission, so the mission comes to an end um, and you guys get into the escape ambulance. And as you're getting in, Makarov shoots you and reveals that he knew you were an American all along. His his plan was that Russian officials would find your corpse specifically, discover you were CIA, and then blame the United States for the attack and then go to war with the United States. How do, how do, we, how do we feel about the realism of, uh, of that particular plan? I think it definitely kind of explains the... Uh lack of questioning why you know private allen doesn't speak any russian like a dude from iowa shows up to a you know russian ultra nationalist terror cell with a american accent and they're just like uh yeah okay (laughs) we'll let you how's it how's it how's it going comrades wow this is going really well they totally buy him russian yeah so some major issues just some major issues here um as i was going through it i mean yeah i would say though uh myself um, we we did a uh, we did a podcast with the Great Dynamics podcast, a shameless plug. Um, I think it was episode four with Carl Kalir. He said that the CIA or, or the, the American intelligence community, in I think since the Cold War or during the Cold War up until now, had only like successfully, as far as we know, one person that went in as an American under a cover, being able to successfully go in one in all those years, yeah. right? So that shows you the chances of somebody 
being able successfully to to join groups like particularly groups that seem like have access to government level vetting. Yeah, and and I mean, and 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 just as a reminder, the the gap between Private Allen fighting in Afghanistan and taking part in this is two days. So it's not like it's not even even within the context of like trying to insert someone. There, there's not enough time for you to enter this terrorist group and, and be trusted or anything like that. Like, you know, usually, I mean, usually the way to go would be an informant or, you know, uh, someone who's already in the group who you can turn. But just some some major issues with the attack. You know, Makarov is a known terrorist. Like in the loading screens, they have a bunch of newspaper articles with his face plastered all over. And he's got like one, one there's like an article where it's like Makarov says, I will bomb again. You know, so it's it's not like, you know, it's this isn't, you know, Makarov isn't like an unknown guy. Right. He's like a deadly terrorist and he's like a, you know, like a Osama bin Laden type, you know, media profile. So, you know, if there's any footage, you know, captured of this attack, like, you know, perhaps on an airport, you know, how there's 800 security cameras for, for every square meter, his face would be seen unless he had someone on the inside, but they don't clarify that. Russia wouldn't necessarily know the private Allen was CIA because he was recruited about 15 minutes ago. So he probably didn't have time to update his LinkedIn or, you know, get his HR forms done or, or any of that. Um, the U.S. has <laughs> the U.S. has nothing to gain by conducting a clandestine terrorist attack on a foreign airport at peacetime. That's not that's not really talked about. And also, you know, at the end of Call of Duty 4, Russia is still in the middle of a civil war. If it would be hard for for a, a country post civil war to be engaging in a conflict that quickly after after having just fought a civil war, and it would be very hard for it to fight the United States because of an attack like this, let alone reach the United States. So the attack happens and it goes as Makarov plans. The Russians are calling for war with the U.S. and it's it's a big media thing. And Shepard and Task Force One Four One are like, "Oh, we need to prove it wasn't us that did the attack," even though like. One of their guys was there for the attack, but instead of like sharing intel that shows it was Makarov with the Russian government, they decide that they're going to track down a Brazilian arms dealer because they saw a picture of one of the casings of the bullet from the bullets from the shooting, and they matched that casing to a specific arms dealer in Brazil. Um, and so their plan is to grab him and get him to admit to selling the bullets to Makarov to exonerate America for the shooting. I mean, that's some pretty top, that's there. Some top tier, uh, you know, taking yarn and connecting it to a, you know, like, like that's pretty good if, if from an intelligence standpoint. It's like, <laughs> that makes sense. You know, that's plausible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, I think the main, I think the main challenge is right. If they, if they get him, um, and he's like, oh, I'm this arms dealer and I totally sold the bullets to Makarov. Like, is the Russian government going to be like, oh, yeah, we believe you, America, who produced this random arms dealer? You know, it's in terms of in terms of evidence that you weren't involved, you know, some some kind of demonstration that you were running an operation against Makarov or, or something would be sort of better. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's you can forensically track, you know, munitions all the time. That's a that's a, a big thing in the private and public sector. And, you know, for for folks like um Armaments research services and stuff like that. They, you know, track down serial numbers and, and do those sorts of armaments tracing projects. But yeah, so Brazilian arms dealer, he's the big problem. So in true Call of Duty fashion, you teleport from Kazakhstan, where you were on the last mission, to Rio de Janeiro, where you're tracking the arms dealer second in command. You trail him 15 feet away from him, um, despite the fact that you're obviously not Brazilian and you're decked out in your full combat kit, including US and UK flags. No mention of the Brazilian government is chill about this. 
I wouldn't think they would be. You grab this guy after a chase, and Soap tells you to go into the favela with one other guy uh, while he tortures the second-in-command to find the arms dealer's location. For those of us keeping track at home, this is the third time, I think, across both games that our heroes have tortured someone for information. That, that, uh, that's not cool. But, <laughs> uh, but you run into the favela um, with one other guy and all of your kit, and uh, you disperse sort of... It's, this is what like this is what the developers of Call of Duty think Brazil is right like is right it's it's a bunch of like shanties and there's like some kids playing football like that's just all Brazil the entire nation of Brazil is and so <laughs> and so you know you just jump down into this area and you and you fire your guns in the air to disperse the civilians which is super safe you know bullets never come down after you shoot them up and for some reason the gangs in the favelas decide to confront you instead of avoiding you um usually sort of. I mean, it depends because favelas in Rio, you know, vary depending on where you are and, and what the gang is. But most of the gangs are more into drugs and extortion rackets than they are into gun running. So they might not be the arms dealers guys. They might just be, you know, gangs that are in the area. And like half of them wear berets and like aviators. Uh, so that way, like we as the Americans know they're the bad guys. So <laughs> anyways... You, you shoot up this densely populated civilian area um, in order to extra extrajudicially detain this arms dealer. Soap ends up catching him by tackling him out of a second-story window and onto a car like it's an Avengers movie. You know, par for the course. So just to, just to recap, so we're all on track. We have a terrorist attack being pinned on the U.S., and then the task force is in Brazil to get circumstantial evidence from an unreliable source to exonerate the U.S. for blame in this attack, right? At this point, things get wild. The next mission portrays a, a Russian invasion. Oh, now? Yeah. It gets crazy now. Oh. Yeah. No, no, this, this is, this is the like, this is the restrained, this is the restrained and logical part that we're dealing with. So the next mission portrays like a Russian invasion of the mainland United States. To clarify, this is like 48 hours after the terrorist attack, Russia has launched this, this full invasion. Um, the way they invade the U S is by aircraft approaching from the East and West coast. And they're able to approach without being detected because they exploited the satellite module from the start of the game and used that to hack U.S. satellites so that the U.S. had no way of, no way of knowing that Russian planes were approaching. Um, this sort of ignores the fact that there are ways other than satellites that aircraft are detected um, and that there are countries other than the U.S. that have satellites. And there's a whole <laughs> alliance network between, uh, between the U.S. And, and European countries, which they, Russians would have to fly over and that aircraft can't fly over the entire Pacific Ocean. You know, there's, there's a lot of logistical constraints here to invading the U.S., but, you know, you, you ignore all that, and now you're playing as an army ranger from the same unit that was in Afghanistan with, with CIA agent Allen three days ago, and you're in Northern Virginia now, um, defending Northern Virginia from the Russian VDV, the, the Russian Airborne Forces, I should say. There's, there's like, Russians and Russian vehicles just pair-dropping all over the place in this, like, suburban area. There's, like, no, there's no tactical value or strategic value to holding, like, the suburbs outside of D.C. They're just, like, they're just there because it's, you know, fun for the plot. And you're sort of, you're fighting them street to street, you know. As an aside, I, I like, I lived in this area for a while, like, Northern Virginia. And they didn't quite get it right. Like, they make it look like middle America. But, you know, um, this area kind of looks like shit now. Like, it's all strip malls and, like, McMansions. And like, it, it's not like red brick, you know, two story family homes. It's, it's very, it's very different from like the town in Red Dawn or something like that. But anyways, you guys, you guys then make America proud. You, you rescue an unspecified VIP. Apparently it was originally supposed to be the president, but they thought that would be too silly um, because he's holed up in a burger place. Uh, so you go, you go and you, 
you go and you take the burger place and you hold out and then a convoy of like three Humvee shows up and, and rescues you. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's where they, that's where they leave it with you for now. They then go back to the task force. The next few missions, by the way, they jump back and forth between the invasion of the U S and the task force doing sneaky stuff around the world. So for the next four missions, it's just going to be this sort of back and forth. So remember how they were in Brazil so that the arms dealer would give evidence against Makarov? Well, they, they kind of forgot about that <laughs> because, because the arms dealer tells them, tells them like that the guy Makarov hates most is in a Russian gulag. So instead of like having this guy testify or provide any evidence that it was Makarov that did the attack, they just decide to like, I guess, leave him alone and chase down this lead from a guy who shouldn't know who Makarov hates because he's just like the guy who sold him some bullets. The U.S. is too busy to extract you from Brazil to go find this this gulag prisoner. Um, so you decide to call Nikolai, uh, who is the informant from the last game, who had a very tiny, tiny role. And there was no mention of the fact that he can apparently fly airplanes. But now he's got like a big he's got like a big Antonov, like one of those big cargo planes. And he's got like nothing better to do in wartime. So he just flies that Antonov, you know, all the way across the Atlantic and, you know, down to Brazil for you. And yeah, you shoot your way out of the favela and you jump off a cliff onto a helicopter rope ladder and, and you escape to the airport. You know, bing, bang, boom. Just like, just like we guys, just like we did every day. That was how I got to and from work. Now they, now, so now the task force has escaped the favela. That's the long and short of it. Um, back to the invasion of America. Um, somehow this isn't like a complete disaster for Russia, just like dropping paratroopers randomly over like a massive area and having no real organization or plan or um, any way to have like a supply chain back to, to Russia. Um, General Shepard takes over your, your ranger unit and he tasks you to go to this like swanky neighborhood, like a, like an upscale kind of neighborhood in Northern Virginia to blow up, uh, some Russian anti-aircraft guns and secure another VIP. And you, and you sort of fight through these, like, these like crappy mansions with like open floor plans and like, you know, it's 2009. So they've all got really big plasma TVs and like, you know, all that stuff. You finally get to the VIP. Um, and it looks like he shot himself in the safe room. Uh, you know, you take, you know, you take the documents there and, and you're, you're looking around and you're like, oh, the, the Russians that are dead here are some kind of like SOF element. They're not like, you know, they're, they're not like uh, your average Russian VDV. So, so they're implying that there's like some, some kind of intrigue here related to, to what's happening in the safe house. But um, don't worry because they never bring it up again and it does not matter. You know, that, that entire, that entire um, plot thread is just, is just outright dropped as far as I can tell. So then it cuts you back to the task force. I think it was just to give you something to do um, for the U.S. missions. But cutting back to the task force, General Shepard tells you guys that you've got to get the prisoner that Makarov hates out of the gulag because that will force Makarov out of hiding so you can get to him. Like Shepard is really, really obsessed with this like terrorist guy, even though the U.S. is being like actively like invaded by a foreign country. He's still like, oh, we got to get Makarov. It would be like if... I don't know, it would be like if Russia invaded the U.S. now and someone was like, oh, we have to get like, we have to get the head of ISIS right this second. Like, well, you can, you know, you can put it on the docket, right? You can wait a second. So they, they figure out that this, this gulag prisoner um, is in eastern Russia. He's out near Sevastopol, or not near Sevastopol. What is, what's the naval base on the far, far eastern side of Russia? Is that Sevastopol? Thank you, everybody, for listening through the podcast. Really appreciate all the support that you guys have been giving us all these last weeks. And uh, I, I can't really thank everybody enough that was involved. Michael, uh, Marcel, for his excellent running through of the game and playing it. I know that was a, that was a, uh, a labor of love. Um, and, and obviously Thomas too. 
And um, guys, if you listen to the podcast and you enjoy it, you know, please give us um, some 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 stars on 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 uh, Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to it, and give us some positive reviews if we deserve it, obviously. And uh, follow us on on greatdynamics.com and. There are some some awesome podcasts coming and some awesome projects coming right now. I don't know when you guys will listen to this podcast, but the last week of December, uh, we we ran our Arctic Week or we're running the Arctic Week, and um, and if you guys want to be more involved in in any publications or reports that we write, please subscribe to the newsletter via the website. And I see you guys soon. Thank you. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, and if you live, uh, listen after, um, have a great coming year. Thank you, guys. Vladivostok. Vladivostok. Yes. Yeah, sorry, I've been focusing on, I've been focusing on Ukraine shit too much. <laughs> I mean, I've been. I, I know every. I know every town in in eastern Ukraine now, but I don't know any towns in eastern Russia. I guess I've, I've put it out of my mind. Yeah. So Shepard decides that you and the U.S. Sixth Fleet, which by the way is the wrong fleet, it's the Seventh Fleet that's in the Pacific. And needs to attack mainland Russia to get this like one guy, like Shepard. Shepard is like tasking the entire the entire U.S. Seventh Fleet to like attack this one section of Russia to get to one prison to get to one guy, um, because it's so important to get Makarov. I guess you you guys you guys hitch a ride on the USS Dallas, which is an actual like U.S. Los Angeles class submarine. I don't know why they decided to be realistic about like that one specific thing, but there is actually a USS Dallas that is a submarine. You you infiltrate a Russian oil rig because the Russians sort of put. They put AA on all of the oil rigs in that area so that nobody could nobody could get through. And they and they say that the oil rig crew are sort of hostages to stop the US from bombing it. But I don't think the developers know what that means. Because normally that means you put military assets next to st- civilian stuff. And then the US is less likely to bomb it because they don't want to kill civilians. But the way that it's portrayed here is that like the Russians have literally tied up like the oil workers on this platform. Like they they've like they've like tied them to chairs with like duct tape and stuff and they put like C4 on them. But like these are presumably Russians because they're like on a Russian oil rig. So they've like held their own guys hostage to stop you from bombing them. But anyways, you go through, you know, you, you, you rescue all these hostages. Uh, you needlessly commit a war crime by booby trapping dead bodies. But then you take the oil rig and it's fine. Uh, and you can move on to the gulag. Then you and the entire U.S. fleet attack this random part of Russian coastline to get to this prison. And I can't emphasize enough, like... <laughs> You're risking a lot by putting your fleet and your assets and stuff along the Russian coastline. You're risking a lot by doing that. So the idea that like this is all happening to just get like one guy as part of like a counterterrorism effort is, is sort of it's a little out there. Um, and it also brings up the question it, why Makarov couldn't just have this guy killed in Russian jail. Like it's like it's like Russian jail. It's not like a supermax, right? Like you can pay someone to shank someone, but I don't know. The plot wouldn't be able to happen. Can you do? Hmm? Can you do? That's the question. Can you though? I don't know. I don't know that much about Russian prisons, so. Well, I I specifically can't, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it can't be it can't be hard, right? Mm. You know, I, I you know the 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 conditions on in Russian prisons aren't like amazing. No, that's that's for sure. No, but I, I I'm just wondering like how the rules in in Russian prisons probably are a lot different than in the U.S. Right? Mm. I think in Russia it's much easier go, to go through guards. Than to go through other prisoners, mm-hmm. right? But oh yeah, I'm spitballing here. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, either going through like a gang or going through the guards or some kind of you know some kind of corruption. But I mean, if he, 
like it's a lot easier for Makarov to get this guy than it is for the U.S. to get this guy because he's because he's sort of in in Russian territory where Makarov's from. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll, I guess we'll never know. Um, as you work your way down, uh, the <laughs> as you work your way down, so you you land you, you essentially land in the gulag. You're, you're fighting your way through the gulag, and there's like you know you go cell to cell, and you're like, oh, we can't find him, we can't find him. You know, as you work your way down, the Navy just keeps dropping bombs on this gulag. And it's not like a, um, it's not like a work camp. Like it's not outdoors. It's like an old, like, you know, an old fortress from like the 1800s or something. And, um, and so it's one, one complete building. So the Navy is just dropping bombs on the facility that you're in. Um, and you're like, Hey, Shepard, can you tell them to stop dropping bombs on us? And they're like, sorry, the Navy doesn't care about one prisoner, even though like, y- yeah, they, they do. Cause that's why they came here is to get the one prisoner. <laughs> There's no like there's no reason to be wasting assets in the middle of the war attacking this useless part of Eastern Russia. Like it's it's all for this mission. Um, but I don't know. Maybe the Navy forgets. And yeah, so you finally get to the prisoner. And it's guess what? It's Captain Price. Hey. It was Captain Price from the first game all along. He's alive. He's alive. Yeah. They <laughs> apparently um there was like a trailer released between Call of Duty 4 and Modern Warfare 2 that explained this, but I didn't see this when I was like 14, and therefore uh, it didn't happen. So apparently apparently <laughs> there was some mission that he got lost on and they thought he was dead or something. Like they they, they backwards justified it that way. Um, but they didn't explain that in the game, so I'm gonna so I'm still gonna ding them on it. Um <laughs> but you know, why is he in jail as a as a foreign national? Russian jail is a foreign national and no one knows he's alive, you know, these these are questions the game doesn't ask. But you grab him and escape. You escape in some like cartoony James Bond way. Like there's a there's like a hole, you know, six stories down that goes straight to the roof. So they get a helicopter to go over it and they drop a rope down and you guys all attach yourselves by harnesses and then just pulls you up all the way through without like smashing you on the side of the concrete or, you know, giving you like whiplash or something. So Captain Price has been saved. And he also he also this isn't brought up, but like the second that you grab him, he just takes charge of Task Force One Four One. Like he's in, despite the fact that he was in jail for I guess a few years, he's just in charge now. And there's like no further mention of like the Navy attacking Eastern Russia. So I assume that they just they just like went over to get him and lost a bunch of stuff and then just left again. Um, but you know, in a in in a conflict with Russia, like most. Most U.S. you know forces and assets around the world would be sort of mobilized, right? They wouldn't just be hanging out, watching watching DC burn, and like not being proactive in, in whatever their theater of operation is, right? But yeah, so we've saved Captain Price. We cut back to the U.S. and and you're the Rangers again, and there's there's a mass evacuation of DC and the surrounding areas. Um, you start in this like underground bunker, and your squad is tasked with like covering the evacuation helicopters. And and I mean, this is sort of a realistic point because I mean. Washington, D.C. has a ton of people, and, and especially Northern Virginia and Southern Maryland, like the area around D.C. has a ton of people. Um, but the evacuation site they chose is like the middle of Washington, D.C., which is like a terrible place to to assemble a bunch of civilians and then fly them out by helicopter. It's like the single, like having having a bunch of people travel from outside a city into a city to then evacuate the city is sort of completely nonsensical. But they decide to do it that way, and you're tasked with covering them. So you sort of emerge out of this you emerge out of this bunker um, into the middle of the National Mall, which is the that iconic strip of DC where all the monuments and the Smithsonian and all that stuff are. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have been to DC or seen DC, but you know, it's it's that's where like that's like where the Washington Monument is. You know, on the one end you have the Capitol Building, on the other end you have the Lincoln Memorial, and so basically all of the like whenever someone cuts, whenever there's like a movie or something that takes place in DC, like most of the function, most of the like tourist sites 
are are along this strip of of the mall in DC. There's a lot of sad violin here because like the, the the Washington monuments like burning and stuff. Um, but I guess it's only sad when the U.S. is being destroyed because there's no like there's no violin when like you know the Middle East or Russia was being destroyed. It's it's only it's only when the U.S. is destroyed that we get the sad violin. I mean that's probably the most accurate thing in this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it when it's different. Listen, it's different when it happens to us. All right. <laughs> well, if you're the one making the game, for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's you know it's 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 symbolic about the extent of the of the threat, right? That that you know core core elements of core you know icons of American identity, like the monuments and things, are, are under threat. But yeah, so you emerge, you emerge out and you, you fight your way into the, I think it's the National Archives building, or it's just a made up building that looks exactly like it and is in the same part of the part of the mall. And, uh, you know, you, you kick the Russians out, you know, they're, they're able to overlook the evacuation site from up there. So you, you, you know, you go in there and, and you clear that building. Um, and then you get in a helicopter and you blow the absolute shit out of the World War II memorial. Like the, 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 you, like the Russians apparently put RPG guys on, on the top of the, the World War II memorial, which is quite a large memorial. And, and you get into a helicopter, you just, you just absolutely annihilate it. Like, like they're really sad about the Washington Monument going, but they're like, World War II memorial, that's expendable. And it's, to be fair, it is like probably the worst memorial, you know, in D.C. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, you know, there's not even statues or anything. It's, it's, just, it's just a bunch of pillars. Um. But yeah, then you fly over the Department of Justice building. The Russians put up more guys there. You 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 blow them up, um, and then you get shot down. And then it sort of ends on this cliffhanger where you know you're in your shot down helicopter, and you know there's Russians coming for you, and you and your squad mates they're like last mag. You know it's, it's you know it's sort of a desperate thing, and then it just you know cuts away. So you don't you don't know what happens to your uh, to your guys because you go back to the task force, and so Captain Price right, he's just been rescued. You know he's been in Russian jail for three years. He probably weighs like you know, 40 pounds less and, you know, doesn't know how to fight anymore, but he's in charge of task force one for one now. Uh, and he, and he calls general Shepard and general Shepard's and, and he's like, here, general Shepard, I know how to win the war. Despite the fact that I've been in jail for several years. And he sends him just like the blueprints for like a Russian nuclear submarine. And Shepard's like, no, don't do that. Uh, go find Makarov. I, I, I tasked you guys to find Makarov. You don't have to, you, I can t- we can take care of this war over here. Your your job's to find this guy. Like like Shepard's just obsessed with finding Makarov, and then Price just hangs up on him, and he's like, "No, we're going after the sub anyway," which I guess <laughs> I guess in just completely ignoring the chain of command, but still getting like access to all of you know Shepard's you know equipment and, and ways of getting where getting there. So you and him and the rest of the task force, you 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 go to this Russian naval base where the submarine is, uh, with not one, not two, but three Predator drones supporting you. Somehow, like just flying over Russian airspace, you know, just just firing. Also, you get unlimited munitions, as I recall. Like you get, like, you can fire like thirty Hellfires off of each one if you want to. Uh, no one, no one will know. No one will care. But yeah, so you cover Price, and he jumps in this nuclear submarine, and then and then to the shock of everyone with you, he like launches a nuclear missile out of the submarine, yeah, you know, like unilaterally. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like. I don't know if that's something he learned in Russian jail or if he learned right before how to hijack a submarine and, and you know, single-handedly launch a nuclear missile. And everyone's like, oh my God, like this is such a twist. But like, what else would you do with a nuclear sub? Like, he, like you know, you don't just, you know, they're not Pokemon. You don't just collect them, right? You know, they're, they're for something. What happens next is confusing to describe um, because it, it cuts back and forth between a lot of things happening at once to try and give you a complete picture. Verbally, it's a little difficult. So, but stay, stay with me, stay with me. 
So General Shepard, the nukes, the the nuke, the missile, right, is in the air. General Shepard has a meeting with the Secretary of Defense. And he says, like, the nuke's aimed at DC. It's going to kill a lot of people. And Makarov's behind the nuke. He doesn't say, like, Price is behind the nuke. He's like, Makarov is responsible for this. And the Secretary of Defense is like, Shepard, you were right. The world is a scary place. We do need to have the biggest stick. You know, all your all your crazy megalomaniacal monologues, they were totally right. That's totally what it's about. And I'm going to give you a blank check to go find Makarov because he's about to nuke DC. And then he's also like, oh, yeah, we built the White House, rebuilt the White House before, which is like a, a weird thing to say when a nuke is heading for DC. Like it was a lot easier to rebuild stuff in like 1812 than, than now. But anyway, then it cuts back to the cliffhanger with the Rangers where you're in the helicopter and you're fighting off the Russians. Uh, and then there's a, a massive bright flash, right? And and then it cuts to you as an astronaut in the International Space Station doing a spacewalk. And like Houston Command Center tells you to like look at Earth. And you can see you can see like the missile. I don't know if you could actually I don't know if this is actually how this works, but you can like see the missile like heading for the East Coast. And Houston's like, that's weird. I don't think we scheduled any satellite launches for today. And you're like, yeah, probably not, dude. Um <laughs> And then, and then the missile explodes in orbit before entering the atmosphere over DC. So, so the, the nuclear explosion itself doesn't seem to impact DC, but you see all the lights go dark because when there's a nuclear explosion, there's also an associated electromagnetic pulse and EMP, I guess is the logic of the creators. This isn't how it would work in practice. Um, but, but you can see all the lights around DC go dark and the shockwave of it uh, destroys the International Space Station and strands you in space, um, which is something that they don't ever talk about again, is that, like, Price just killed the entire International Space Station. But, yeah. So the nuke the nuke goes off in the atmosphere, miraculously doesn't kill anyone with radiation, but the EMP shuts down all electronics in the Washington, D.C. area. You hard cut back to the Rangers, and, like, every light goes out, every helicopter just, like, drops out of the sky like a brick. And like, like looks on hell, looks like hell on earth, and they're like freaking out and running around. And they finally like sprint into the Department of Justice building, and one of the soldiers is like, "It's an EMP," because like that way the player is reminded that it's an EMP in case you didn't understand what was happening because it was so confusing. <laughs> and then everyone catches their breath, and like the dust settles, and like it was it was like a pitched battle outside, right? Um, and you come back out, and it's just like empty, like completely eerie. Like there's like destroyed stuff everywhere, but there's like, you can't see or hear anything. There's, there's no street lights on. It's really dark. Um, the op, uh, the cool thing is that the optics on your, um, on your guns no longer work if they're electronic, which was, I guess, I, I don't know. I thought that was neat, but yeah, the dust settles. And then like, and then like a runner comes out, like just some, some like private is like, <sighs> okay, sir. And like gives you orders because like because like the colonel in the area is like, okay, everyone needs to go to the White House because the White House has electricity. And that way we can call command and ask them what to do. So you so you finally you like you like finally reach the White House via a very circuitous route that doesn't actually make sense if you look at a map of DC, but I won't go into now. You 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 know, you go into the White House, you fight through the Oval Office, you know, you fight through like the press office, you know, where all the all the press conferences happen and all the communications. You get to the communications. And they're like, hey, um, we're about to bomb D.C. And we're going to bomb every site that we think the Russians control, including the White House. So if you don't want us to bomb you, um, put some green flares up and then we'll know not to bomb you. And so you have to like sprint up like you have you have like mere seconds. And and for some reason, this is this isn't really remarked on. But for some reason, like a jet can see your flares on the ground before they release. 
and they're going to trust that, even though the Russians have access to the communications. But yeah, so so you go up and you you know you light your flares and you you, you know you like an air traffic controller, right? Like you're waving the green flares up, and then the planes pass over and they don't drop your bombs, and you see like green flares across Washington D.C. and um, and mercifully, that is the end of the U.S. Russia invasion story in this game. Uh, there's there's the Russian invasion is not over. It's a big part of the next game. Um, but but for the rest of this game, they're like, oh yeah, we won. Just got to wrap that stuff up. You know, the invasion of America. It's fine. And the and you know the rest of it. The rest of it is all about the task force from from this point on. Like the invasion of the U.S. is no longer important for some reason. And and by the way, everyone credits Price for winning the war. They're like, good job nuking the International Space Station and destroying all the electronics in D.C. <laughs> you did it. You did a great job. Thank you, SAS. But yeah, so so Shepard and Price have another call. Um, and Shepard doesn't mention at all that Price hung up on him and then launched a nuke himself. But he's like, listen, we, you know, the war's over, but we still need to get Makarov. There's, there's only two places he can be hiding. It's, he's either in the Georgian-Armenian border, which is a very safe place to hide, or like some junkyard in Afghanistan. Those are the two places in the world that this international terrorist could possibly be. Um, and he's like, do you think you could check both of them? And they're like, yeah, well, there's, there's like 40 of us. So yeah, we can check two places. So, so you, the player character, you go to to the Georgian-Armenian border. Um, Captain Price and Soap, they they go to Afghanistan, so they're not with you for the mission, right? You know, as as you approach, um, you get you get ambushed, right? As as you'd expect, just waltzing into like some heavily guarded estate, you get ambushed, but you manage to win somehow, even though they have like mortars and stuff. Um, and then you break into the estate. Um, Mac, they find Makarov isn't there, but he does have a computer. Um, so you go through this like painstaking process of like defending the estate from all these bad guys while you're transferring the files to this other hard drive. Um, in real life, they'd probably just grab the computer or like pull the hard drive out of the computer. But in the, in this, you have to like, in this, you have to copy like, you know, with like Windows XP speed, you know, like 400 megabytes of files. And it takes like, you know, 15 minutes for some reason. So yeah, so you do that, you get the files. And Shepard's like, you know, Shepard's like, I'm going to come pick you up, you know, so you have this like, you have this running gun battle, you know, you have to fight through the bad guys and you have to get to the LZ, the, uh, the, evac, the evac zone rather. And Shepard's there and he's like, do you have the files? And you're like, yeah. And then, and then Shepard decides to betray you guys and shoots and shoots you dead and shoots your buddies dead. And then the guys with him pile up your, pile up your bodies and just burn them. Um, it turns out that Shepard was the one who told Makarov that the CIA officer was going to be with them on the terrorist attack because Shepard wanted to start World War III. That was the that's that's what that's what we know at this point. He states later why he wants to start World War III, and we'll get to that. But don't worry, it's it's not a good reason, but we'll get to it. So Shepard's the bad guy now. Um, and also separately Makarov's the bad guy now. So that was that was the Russia that was the Russia Georgia border, right? It then cuts to it then cuts to you're playing a soap again for the first time since Call of Duty 4 and Price and Captain Price. And you're you're in Afghanistan, and they're Shepard's guys, and they're fighting Makarov's guys, and they both want to kill you. So you got to fight through them, you know, as two guys, and it, and it works surprisingly well. Shepard's guys, by the way, there's something called Shadow Company, which which, and I had to look this up because they don't they don't clarify at all. But it is a it's a PMC personally controlled by Shepard, and extremely loyal to Shepard. I don't know when he had the time as like, as like an, a commander in Afghanistan, and they person in charge of a task force to form a PMC. 
And he was only given like the blank check by the secretary of defense, like the day before. So I don't know where he had time to get like 800 mercenaries. You know, I guess that's, I guess that's how it goes. I guess that's why I'm not a super villain is because I don't have these sort of organizational skills. Um, but yeah, so. I also love, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, I love, uh, you know, his branding for shadow company where they're wearing all black, you know, yeah. BDUs in the middle of the desert. <laughs> iconic yeah yeah they wear they wear all black yeah they wear all black and they've got like i i I get the impression that they just took that they just took like u.s soldier the model the the guys who made the game they just took the model for a u.s soldier and they just put like a balaclava on him and they made everything black i I think that's that's what it was i think it's to just get around the fact that like otherwise you'd be as the player shooting americans which would be sort of i mean you know that would be bad um yeah only only russian civilians can get it um, you know, American soldiers, no, you can't shoot them. But yeah, so yeah. So also, it is funny, the idea that Shepard went to the Secretary of Defense. And he's like, I've got an idea for a PMC. I'm going to call it Shadow Company. And the SecDef was like, oh yeah, it looks legit. That's that's exactly that's exactly what I want. You know, I, 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 got, a, I got a message from uh, a random guy that I, that, that I met on LinkedIn. He's a Brazilian and he's a former... Um, you know, Pope, you know, that special police unit that they have. And one day he reached out to me and he asked me like for some advice and whatever. And that was maybe two years ago. And he has a PMC now, a Brazilian PMC. You know what it's called? I know I'm giving him free, free commercial here, but (laughs) I saw it and I was like, this must be a joke when I looked at it, but his PMC is called Evil Black Ops. <laughs> what? I'm not even joking. His PMC is called Evil Black Ops. And he like spelled, spelled just, just like, like that. that. And he sent me even his brochure. That's awesome. That's what's amazing. their what's their logo? <laughs> I mean, that's kinda like uh from Mr. Mr. Rope Mr. Robot, like yeah, 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 exactly. You know what I'm exactly. About? Yeah. And I was like what's, what's their do they have a logo? Do they have like a crest? Is it just like an angry uh, face? He needs he needs to get it. his evil bad HR or his evil bad graphics department. I would have done it, you know. But <laughs> I mean, it's it's the perfect perfect group to hire if you want to like you stage know what I mean? coup or yeah. yeah. Know, maybe he played maybe he played Call of Duty government. Yeah, he, yeah. he played Call of Duty. Yeah. He's like, I need to like. There's an opportunity. Like all of these bad guys want to hire PMCs, but they have to form them themselves. And this is this is a market opportunity for us at Evil Bad Industries. Maybe if Blackwater just started with that, they wouldn't have had to go through so many name changes. Right. It would have been like, this is who we are from the beginning, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. No rebranding needed. <laughs> yeah, of course we did that. It's, it's in the name. Duh. Pay attention, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we're, now we're Academy. Don't worry about it. So, right. It's, so it's, it's Captain Price and Soap, which is you. Um, and you're in Afghanistan and you are, and you're fighting both, right? Makarov's guys who are, you know, I guess just, ideologically driven terrorists that hide in Afghanistan very easily and uh, Shepard's private shadow company guys. And they're fighting, they're fighting each other. Um, and they're also fighting you. So, so you're, you're sort of fighting them and you're running away. But at the same time, Price is like calling Makarov like on the radio and he's like, Hey Makarov, you know, Shepard is probably going to kill you. Um, and he's also going to kill us. So you should give me information on Shepard. So that way I can go kill this active duty U S general. And then we'll both be safe. 
from from the, the U.S. military industrial complex. Um, and Makarov is like, fine, I will do that. Even though he like supposed supposedly like hates Price, he just sends him. He sends him all this information on like where Shepard is, and figuring figuring that like Shepard will just go kill Molotov like with with a blank check from the from the government. Um, Price and Soap then escape thanks again to Nikolai, who who lands his magic Antonov, you know, just in time to get you out. Like he was willing to fly this thing to Brazil. I guess Afghanistan's a lot closer for him. You know, it's more of like a, a commute. It's like on the way. Um, and he says a bunch of like stereotypical Russian stuff. He's like, you know, oh, this is the worst thing I've seen since I was in Afghanistan in the eighties. You know, he's like doing that kind of thing. And he's saying kooky Russian things. And yeah, so so now we come to these and and sort of you escape you escape with him. You have a dramatic like you you like drive onto the you drive onto the plane as the plane's taking off. It's very fast and furious, you know. Um, and we come to the end of the end of this this part of the story, um, or rather the end of Modern Warfare Two. Price and Soap are now international fugitives. Like uh, you know, uh, Shepard is just like, oh yeah, these guys, you know, they launched a nuke, so they're they're fugitives now. Um, and so they decide the only way to clear their names is to essentially use the information Makarov gave them and go on a suicide mission to to kill Shepard. And so Shepard's in Afghanistan again. He said that he must have set this thing up in like one or two days, but they've got like. They've got like this whole cave network that's like lighted up and they've got these like command centers and like, you know, a bunch of helicopters and, and, uh, you know, and technicals and things like that. Um, so you, you fight your way through this base, you know, just, just you and, uh, just you and soap Shepard tries to, to airstrike you while you're, so I guess, so I guess his PMC also has airplanes, but he tries, he tries to airstrike you to get rid of you, but he ends up just killing a bunch of his own guys. Um, because you knew to to be inside a cave when a bombing was happening, and they didn't know that, so so they were where all the bombs were. He then, after that doesn't work, he decides he's just going to flee in like a speedboat, and you chase after him in your own speedboat, which was handily right behind his. He should have probably destroyed that one, and then and then you make the same mistake though, because the bad guys are chasing you while you're chasing Shepard with their own speedboats, and also like helicopters. I think these are I think they're like might be mistaken. I think they're like MD five thousands or something. Like we're like little birds, like that, those sorts of things, like like that kind of that kind of small helicopter, and they're they're shooting after you, and it's sort of, you know, it's high octane stuff, and for some reason you've got like a machine pistol, like like an automatic pistol, and you're um, and you're like successfully like firing while guiding your outboard motor and hitting people and stuff. So Shepard has Shepard has an escape helicopter. So what he has it do is, like hover, I guess, with the ramp down, and then he jumps his he jumps his speedboat. This is it. This this general jumps the speedboat into the back of I think it's it's either like a Pavlo or a Chinook, and and lands it, which is amazing. But then Captain Price decides he doesn't like that, so he shoots he shoots Shepard's helicopter down with his rifle. Um, he he shoots he shoots three times and and successfully hits I guess the the axle for the rotors at the top. Um, apparently in the remaster, they changed this to, he fired the, um, uh, the underslung grenade on his rifle, because that makes a little bit more sense than just, you know, doing some kind of crazy James Bond shooting trick while on a moving speedboat against a moving target. Also, also while he's doing this, it turns out there's a, there's a small waterfall in front of you. So both you and him fall down the waterfall and, and lose consciousness. Um, you come to, you don't know where price is and you're like staggering to this like helicopter wreckage where the, where Shepard's helicopter went down. Um, and you've just got a knife. Um, and then Shepard comes out too, and he's also staggering, but he's like staggering away from you. And he finally just like he finally just like collapses after a while, and you and you get to him with the knife. Um, but surprise, uh, you know, he grabs the knife and stabs you in the chest. You know, you have a you have a little you have a little brief 
hand-to-hand combat. And even though Shepard's like 800 years old and you're like, and you're like 30, it's totally fine. He, he beats the crap out of you. And then he, and then he does the supervillain thing. And he does a monologue. He's like, nobody cared when nobody cared about me when my army got nuked and 30,000 soldiers died. But, and so starting world war three, a lot of people want to join the army and then I'll be proven to be a hero because I saved DC and started world war three and everyone wants to join the army now. He's like really into the army's recruiting problems. He's like, he's like ready to solve it um, by starting world war three. But yeah, that was, that was his plan. That was his plan all along. He put, he put this random ranger in a terrorist group in the hopes that starting world war three would galvanize that the U S population into supporting the patriotism. That was, that was his plan. (laughs) Um, and it's also why he was after Makarov the entire time, because Makarov is the person who would know, who would know that he shared the information with him. So that's why in the middle of World War III, he's like, we got to get this terrorist. So yeah, that's, that's the genius plan of, of our guy. And he figures he's going to get like the Medal of Honor or something after he ties up all these loose ends. So anyway, he's about to kill you. He's got his, you know, he's got his, uh, his 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world. He's going to shoot you. And then, and then Captain Price appears and he tackles, you know, he tackles Shepard and they have like a, they have like a, you know, old dude fist fight. Cause they're both, you know, they're both, they're both old. They're both like in their fifties, I think at this point. And, and Shepard's kind of, not Shepard, sorry. Uh, Captain Price is kind of losing. Uh, so, so, so you with, with the knife in your chest, start pulling the knife out of your chest, which by the way, in real life, don't, don't do that. If something's lodged in, in your body, don't just pull it out. You know, wait for medical, wait for medical professionals. You know, sometimes, sometimes the knife or, or the, the thing is the only thing holding, you know, your organs in or, or your, you know, preventing you from bleeding out. But he pulls it out or rather you pull it out and Shepard's sort of just on top of Price. And he's just like, he's doing like a, he's doing like a professional wrestling thing. He's like hitting down, you know, um, punching Price. And, and then you take the knife that you just pulled out of your chest and you throw it in slow motion, hitting, hitting Shepard in the eye. Uh, and killing him instantly, and then, and then everyone takes a breather for a second on account of you being stabbed in the chest and and, and Price being um, beaten nearly half to death. And then Price drags you, despite the fact that you're like grievously wounded because you, you're like it's really the center of your chest, like it's like it's it's more or less like it's it's more or less like right next to where your heart is. But Price drags you, uh, a two hundred pound guy, uh, wounded to Nikolai, uh, who's who's magically here with his magic Antonov. And Price is like, oh, we need a place to hide. And Nikolai's like, I know a place. And that's and that's the end. That's the that's the end of the it ends on that cliffhanger of like they're still fugitives, but they successfully killed the general. And also Makarov is still out there. Um, and that's how that's how that's how they decided to end Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. What did uh how did we how do we feel about the the realism of what I just described over this past uh, hour and a half or so? Well, there's no real realism. But I, but I think, and uh, Thomas and, and Michael can, can say more to this than I can, but it definitely shaped uh, inadvertently or advertently a lot of young people joining the U.S. military, right? If not internationally, joining militaries. Yeah, that definitely had like a, a factor in me joining the army was... Uh was definitely playing a lot of Call of Duty Modern Warfare too. I was like, this is awesome. I want to, I want to, you know, go fight Russians in DC. Sounds, sounds awesome. So in that aspect. Was there a point for you where you were like, oh shit, it's not like Call of Duty. 
Yeah, I think probably around the time I went to jump school, I was like, I didn't realize I was afraid of heights when I went to jump school. And I was like, <laughs> man, man, this stuff is way scarier in person. <laughs> when you're a thousand feet off the ground, you're like, ah, I don't know how I feel about, about doing all this. So then that kind of led to the, the de-raveling of the mysticism of the army. Up until that point, I was, I was still pretty enthralled with everything. <laughs> That's good. I was worried. I was worried that it was going to be, you know, something like the first time I had to like, you know, sweep the barracks or something. The first time I had to peel potatoes or, you know, what a, you know, like Beetle Bailey or something. Yeah, no, I think I, I think I definitely expected that part going in. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's uh, uh, definitely nothing like like the video game. Was was there anything? Was there? I guess I guess it's I guess it's easy to point out like what's inaccurate. I mean, was there was there any part of any part of what I've described that seemed, you know, in, in any way tethered to reality or, or anything or anything that someone who was sort of either interested in military affairs or intelligence could like take away besides just ignore all of it. I'm kind of leaning towards ignore all of it, but. Yeah, I don't, there's nothing like there really I can think of like the most accurate thing I think in the entire game was probably the opening scene when you're walking through the fob in Afghanistan and it's just like people standing around bullshitting like that that seemed pretty accurate <laughs> but even then it, you're supposed to be in a ranger battalion and there's like people working on Abrams and it's yeah. like yeah. the rangers don't have things um, <laughs> they're like hey pass me that wrench yeah yeah <laughs> there's also a part uh, really early on where there there's like two guys and they're arguing about which building is about to get hit by an airstrike they're like it's the one on the left and like which left that was that felt uh, that felt a little realistic, but but yeah, once once it sort of leaves that kind of grounded context, it's sort of it's sort of, it just becomes James Bond, right? And this is something that we'll see also in in um, Modern Warfare Three, is that it just becomes you know um, like fanciful in its depictions of things. I think uh, you mentioned something about that scene, right, where they kill all those people in uh, in the airports, um, and doing that on purpose to get you know. A bit of hype to sell the game, right? Because I remember there's there's always there's always been like, hey, you cannot do that. Or there's always been a backlash when a new game comes out about something violent in it. Because I remember, I remember, and maybe Michael remembers this too, since we are the same similar age. But I remember when I was, I think, middle school. Yeah, I was, I think, in middle school, but when the very first Mortal Kombat game came out, right? And everybody was talking about, like, how ultra-violent it was, ultra-violent it was, right? And that helped sell the game even more. So I remember my parent, my mom telling me, like, hey, I've seen this game on the news. You shouldn't be buying it, right? And I was like, oh, it's nothing. You know, they, the news always lies, yeah, right. That's that's the well. That's also that's the number one way to get a kid to do something right. Is like your mom and dad are like, "Don't do that," and you're like, "I'm mm-hmm. going to do it. I'm going to rip. I'm going to rip someone's head out, and their skull's still going to be attached." <laughs> that was the '92 one, yeah. Yeah, I think you're 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 older than me. Well, why would you say that? I was I was definitely <laughs> I was like I was I was not playing Mortal Kombat '92. I was I was around, but I was. Uh, pretty underdeveloped if that makes sense all right fair enough i think 
I was yeah, I think I was like three. I was born in eighty nine. Oh, okay. So I would have been like Yeah, me. I was born eight yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. But I know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, let me give another example. GTA. Right, GTA four, I think, when it came out, mm-hmm. had like a lot of backlash about mm-hmm. in Germany even they wanted to take it out uh and, and not even sell it. So I think also and this is maybe like a, a larger discussion to blaming video games for violence, right? I think, mm-hmm. oh, they're playing all kinds of video games. And, and you, you saw this in, during Columbine shootings and even now, I'm not getting mm-hmm. into political realms here, but, but I think it's, it's a cop-out, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's millions of kids playing games and there's not millions of violent attacks, right? So that doesn't really make sense. And, and every, every research piece that has been done, scientific research piece that's been done has disproven that, but still it's been used as a, as an, as an excuse for, uh, for violent young people. Yeah. I, and, and honestly, like looking, looking back, cause I played, I played Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. I think I got it on launch night. I think I waited up until midnight to get it. Uh, and I think I, I think I pre-ordered it. So it came in like uh, a steel case. Yeah. And, um, and like looking, looking back at it now, like obviously the idea of a terrorist attack is, is offensive, right? Like, but the way it's portrayed in a game, I think, I, I guess the offensive part is more that it's like a cynical attempt to sell the game. I don't necessarily think this was the case for Modern Warfare 2, but at least in, if we get to Modern Warfare 3, uh, their sort of controversial moment is, is very much like, obviously something cynical um and so and so that kind of i don't know that kind of that kind of sucks a little bit i guess but i think even i think too it's like at this point like i was having my conversation with my wife about this recently she's a therapist so she's all into like you know the psychology behind everything (laughs) uh and just talking about how like you know and 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 then i don't i mean i wasn't really around the 80s but you know the 90s the two that early 2000s there's things that were in movies and film that were like oh my gosh back then it was like this is crazy and now it's like we're so desensitized and calloused as a society that it's like the bar just constantly gets raised as to what is considered like too much and i noticed but on, on top of that it it seems like there is still some like within video games there's some like realm of like don't go there because i remember there was supposed to be a game that was supposed to come out last year called fallujah was it about fallujah oh yeah but you could like play as like you could play as like the insurgents and it was like this huge deal i am am i like no well there's yeah there's i think yeah i think it was called like six days in fallujah is that what you meant yeah yeah but you could play as both perspectives so it was supposed to be like this like oh well there's this perspective like the american side and there's like this other side and it was like i don't know what happened to the project but i remember it was like a huge deal or like even like medal of honor i I never played those games but i think it was a while ago actually there was like a medal of honor where you could like play as the taliban and it was like people would lose their ever loving mind about it you know like oh my gosh you're playing as the they were you know, and it's like, <laughs> it's kind of going back to like, oh yeah, like we can, we can talk about, you know, America, like, you know, it's sad if we get our monuments destroyed, but like, God forbid, there's like another perspective, yeah, of, the you know, an artistic medium. They they ended up, I think they ended up changing because, because it was in the multiplayer, right? Um, And, and there was sort of this, 
when when that first happened with Medal of Honor, they they were like, oh, it's like it's like cowboys and Indians. Someone has to be the Indians, right? And I'm like, wow, that's not very self aware. But the <laughs> but they ended up changing it to um, they ended up changing it to Op Four, and that's actually what Call of Duty did from the get go. It's either I think the bad guys are either Spetsnaz, which I guess can just be the bad guys, or Op Four for that exact reason is uh, the sort of politicization of like as it relates to like the war on terrorism and, and how people are feeling then. I think there are then limits to you know what the powers that be allow you to to show and and how not to show. I think the problem will come when I mean developing games is already like it's 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 a very expensive endeavor if you want to make a triple A game. But imagine, you know, that Iran will have the means to make video games to the level of Call of Duty. What what stories would they tell, you know? And would it be possible even to play them, right? Will will Sony and, and and Microsoft allow that, right? So that's that's obviously you know if you control the 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 medium, it will be very difficult. On PC, I think you can do pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Well, Oh, my, my, my supervisor for my PhD, actually, he did a, a couple of years ago, he did research in, um, in, uh, Lebanon, I think. And, uh, he was there as a researcher and he was actually given like a Hezbollah video game where it was like, it was like, uh, I don't think he's not very, he's not very much into, into technology stuff, um, as it for like video games and things like that. Um, so I don't think he ever played it, but it, it, it looked like, it looked like they just reskinned Counter-Strike. Like one of those, one of those like popular games with like Hezbollah stuff and just like the messaging and things. Um, I I kind of I'd want to play it, but I don't have a CD player, and also I think you would probably I don't know I don't know maybe I'd get I'd be put on a list or something if I was out there playing Hezbollah games. Yeah, I would watch out for that. I would love to see it, just pure curiosity. I don't I don't think it would be any good, but just to see, you know, I think it's very important if you if you're in this space, right? If you're a researcher or if you're an intelligence analyst, it's so important to look at, you know, multi multi-dimensional problems from multi-dimensional aspects, right? And viewpoints. And I think I don't know, I, I don't think enough of that exists, right? Yeah, you can see that now in 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 Russia, everybody's falling over themselves to explain. Or Russia's thinking and, and, and what their strategy in, in, in Ukraine is. And I think like I I don't wanna be I don't wanna play devil's advocate too much in this, but you know, we are not really talking about, you know, why is Russia doing this? Right? It seems like completely lost. It's just that they're crazy, you know, and they're starved for, you know, empire building and but we are not I'm not I'm not saying, you know, they have a point. I'm just saying that if we are not looking at for for it doesn't matter if it's a bad or a good thing the, the reasoning it's just that we need to know what it is otherwise you know you cannot really understand a conflict or 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 you know a potential future this is this is one of the reasons i'm really excited about um it's it's finally getting released in in the us and, and uk is the, the emiratis made a movie about the war in yemen and uh, i suspect I, I know more or less what the perspective's gonna be because it's gonna be, you know, obviously extremely pro Emirati. Um, but it's but it's one of those things where even if I disagree with it, it's it's interesting to to sort of see that perspective and understand it and sort of, you know, even it, even if you end up going and disagreeing with it, um, 
you know, you, you kind of understand where they're coming from. And from an intelligence perspective, that's extremely, extremely useful um, is to sort of have that cognitive dis- dissonance of, of weighing what different actors think and feel um, and, and sort of, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily help it predicting, but it helps it kind of explaining. Understanding different actors can help predict what they're going to do, right? Their viewpoint. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, uh, I didn't completely understand your, your argument there, but, but I think that's a, an important point. You know, what I would love to hear from you, Tom, if, it's, uh, if you can, you know, about the gear, was it realistic? The guns, I, I know that myself made the comment about it earlier. But... I think the, the first thing that strikes out to me um, in terms of realism is I, when you first see the Russians, you know, invading, they're wearing like bright, I'm colored by, I think it's red or like orange is red and black kind of, um, uh, you know, uniforms, which doesn't really blend with anything. Um, right off the bat, but also in like, as far as the historical context, you know, a year prior to the game, they had just invaded uh, Georgia and you, you know, the kind of failure there spurred the whole Ratnik system of like modernization for their military, which still isn't even really fully uh, rolled out. Like, um, but uh, so the thought of like a year later that it's kind of interesting that that's how they're portrayed, even though this is like less than a year from when they rolled into Georgia uh, without, you know, body armor, still using AKMs and, and uh, you know, AK-74s and stuff, not even having AK-74Ms all the time. Definitely not having optics. That's like the crazy thing is, uh, you know, every every Russian soldier has an optic and a GP-25 grenade launcher. And with also into they're all AKMs. Um, which I think is interesting. Uh, there's not an, I don't think there's an AK-74 um, in there, There's AK-74Us because they want to have variety, I guess. Yeah. But it's also, they also put, um, they put rails on all, between Call of Duty 4 and Modern Warfare 2, I didn't realize this, but they put rails on all the guns. Like when it's, when it's the Middle Eastern country, they don't have rails, but when it's the Russians, they, they're, they're all tactical, tech, tactical out. Yeah, they definitely like, uh, some way, somehow in the middle of the civil war, they're like, have the funds to upgrade all their, all their weapons and stuff. And they're, you know, a high speed, but there's also just stuff that doesn't even make sense. Like the Russians will be using, um, I think it's called the, the striker in the game. It's the, it's like the revolver shotgun, which is, I think an American made, you know, they're just like the, the weird, like cognitive dissonance between some of the the guns that that you see throughout they they also have um on on the oil platform i didn't mention this but they have they have a, they have a bunch of at4s like instead of even though they put rpgs in the game uh they they they're like oh pick up that at4 that the russians just left and you're like how did you you got a swedish rocket launcher yeah right it's 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 super weird um it i think they just it's probably done just to give the player variety so you're not like constantly picking up rpgs and ak's but it's just like you know, at the final boat scene, um, he's using an Uzi to shoot down the helicopters and stuff. And when when the private who comes after the nuke goes off and the, the ranger private comes running um, through the rain, he's carrying an MP5. And it's like, what, like why does he have this? It, it's not even like an MP5. It's an MP5K without a stock. And it's like, 
a, a weapon that has a very specific purpose and it's definitely not you know running around an active war zone yeah i mean a lot of it a lot of it's also to sell because i mean call of duty 4 marks the transition really from single player to multiplayer so a lot of what happens in the campaign from on a on a not in a not in a story sense but in in terms of what you're experiencing is meant to sell what you do in in the multiplayer so that's why there's like riot shields all over the place even though militaries don't usually use riot shields that's why there's like stuff like um sentry guns and predator drones everywhere is so that like players get accustomed to using those things even though like it, it makes no logical sense for for people in that environment or, or people in, the, in those circumstances to be using those weapons and in the case of sentry guns they just don't exist or um or heartbeat monitors they have like a it's like a radar system that that's like attached to the gun and can detect you know where you are um which is useful if you're trying to compete with um a halo game right where you have that automatically because it's science fiction uh, but it doesn't really make sense if you're trying to again portray like modern warfare. Um, you know the hints in the title. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, another thing I love, which is kind of like uh, they they predicted and got right, was uh, you know there's a scene when you're um, retaking DC and you're you're up on like the third or fourth story overlooking the National Mall. And there's, you know, Russian helicopters and B- BMPs and stuff rolling through. And they're like, use the javelin to take out all the Russian armor. And it's like, holy shit, they got that right. <laughs> like, You know, yeah. a decade later, the javelin is like just wrecking Russian armor all over Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's they're they're really good. Both Call of Duty 4 and Modern Warfare were really were really eager to show off the javelin, although they they only want to show off the, the top attack. Or the when it, when the when the missile goes up and above and attacks from the top, javelins can also attack directly, but that's a little less uh, a little less convenient, I guess, to to portray. Not so. It's not as cool, man. It's not. It's not. It also doesn't portray how much of a pain in the ass a javelin is to use. Like just to get the 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 clue to lock on is like it's not like a fast thing. You just like I I was doing training in Louisiana and we're we're doing this trying to recapture a giant um you know mocked city we got enemy armor and stuff and i'm trying to it's basically just gotten to the point where it's like there's like five of us running around this city and there's groups you know fighting the enemy it's kind of like an unwinnable mission anyway the point is is i I, somewhere along the line i picked up a javelin to try and take out some enemy armor or just sitting there like trying to get it to lock on just kind of get it to lock on for like five minutes so like just dumped it and uh I was like ran off. I was like, this is taking too long. I'm in the open for too long. Yeah. So. And then after you use it, you have to get like 18 D batteries, right? So like to like recharge the clue. Yeah, it gets like stupid hot too. At least I think it does. I don't know. I was a medic, so it was like me having that in the first place was definitely like not the standard. I'd I'd have like two days or like you know, you know, two days with training on it, where it's like <laughs> literally spent like five minutes but it's just like we're all cycling through and learning about it um so probably not the best person to be carrying it but how, how do you feel about um like as a medic how do you feel about the the way people take wounds in this franchise like do you feel like people be combat effective after like knives in the chest and multiple gunshots to like their limbs oh yeah <laughs> yeah no i think the the splash of red kool-aid you get on the screen kind of accurately portrays um <laughs> Uh, the the impact of uh, some of the injuries, yeah. like you're saying, definitely don't pull a knife out of your chest, especially if it's you know right near your heart or your uh, you know pulmonary artery. Um, 
definitely, definitely don't want to do that. And you're definitely not going to be walking around after that. You're probably going to be dead within, you know, yeah. 30 seconds of pulling that out. You missed uh, you missed the discussion yeah. for Call of Duty 4. At the end of Call of Duty 4, when they're, when they're trying to do CPR on Captain Price, and they do like two compressions, and then they start like punching his chest like this. Like, live, damn you, live. Yeah, it's definitely, it's been, you know, three, almost four years now since I've done, you know, military, military medical training. But um, pretty sure CPR is like, if I'm remembering right, like the last thing you will ever be doing in a combat environment. Because it's like, A, for one, if they got shot, you know, bone fragments and stuff are going to be all around their um inside and it's going to start cutting them up they took like a shot to the chest and you start doing chest compressions and you're just going to be pumping out blood if you haven't patched up the holes <laughs> you know, doing cpr in a combat environment definitely not not accurate and definitely not hammer fisting them well actually actually that's not entirely wrong i forgot what it's called um <laughs> tactical tactical chest strike yeah, it's called like a myocardial thump or something. It can stop your heart, but it can also like restart it if you get it just right, where you just like wham and it and it'll, it'll like get it restarted. But it, it's like a one in you know a thousand chance. Any any final thoughts, guys? Actually, I do have a, a thought about like a, a pretty big plot hole was uh, getting price out of the gulag because you're you start off you're going off of intelligence from this one dude in Brazil that he, he hates this guy. So you mount like this entire operation and clearly like no amount of further intelligence was done on that. Cause you get there and you're assaulting it and you don't think at no point does anybody think it's strange that there's no other prisoners in this massive prison complex. It's literally just guards. So that kind of implies that there's this giant prison in the middle of, you know, Siberia with like one dude, inside of it and they they couldn't like be bothered to do the intelligence to be like who is this guy because when they finally get to the guy like oh holy shit price it's you what are you doing here so like at no point did they like do any amount of like checking cross-referencing nothing also also there's no value to price if to russia if 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 like the uk doesn't know where he is right like you'd think that they'd want to be like, "Hey, we're going to ransom this guy, or we're going to hold him." Like that, you know, that's part of the accusations against Russia right now is is using not not military prisoners, but you know, prisoners politically um, as sort of as sort of um, leverage against other countries diplomatically. Um, so I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is they could have gotten a lot more out of price. Yeah, definitely. It it, it seems strange that um, a lot of stuff just like never really comes up. You know, like. <laughs> Like why? You know, why is he there in the first place? If they're not ransoming him, why didn't they just kill him if they wanted him dead? You know, maybe they're just saving him for a rainy day. To be fair, though, the game doesn't mention it, but obviously we don't know if they tried to, you know, exchange him for somebody else with the British government, right? Well, this is a this is an art for Russia to do this type of this is their thing. To, to trade prisoners, right? And, uh, and probably in the near future, they're going to get Victor Bout, uh, the merchant of death, right? Uh, for what's her name? Uh, Brittany. Brittany Grimer. Grimer, yeah. To be fair, she could probably, she could probably 
she'd probably be better at arms dealing now than Victor Boot is. It's been he's been in jail for a while, right? He's probably yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. time to sell these Springfield bolt action rifles. But I would be interested what would happen if that guy comes out. You know, I mean, he's such a cult figure, right? Thank you, uh, Nicholas Cage. And Jared Leto. Don't forget Jared Leto. Morbius himself was the little brother in that movie. Oh, yeah. I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He was, it was morbid time for him. Was... Yeah, he, he morbed into it. He actually, in that movie, he actually cuts, he cuts a bunch of cocaine into the shape of Ukraine, if, you'll, if, if you recall. There's a, there's a whole moment. Yeah. Now, when he's with the, when he's with the ladies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a wild movie. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate all the support that you guys have been giving us all these last weeks. And uh, I, I can't really thank everybody enough that was involved. Michael, uh, Marcel, for his excellent running through of the game and playing it. I know that was a, that was a, uh, a labor of love. Um, and, and obviously Thomas, too. And um, guys, if you listen to the podcast and you enjoy it you know please give us some stars on 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 uh, apple or spotify wherever you listen to it and give us some positive reviews if we deserve it obviously and uh, follow us on on greatdynamics.com and there are some some awesome podcasts coming there's some awesome projects coming right now i don't know when you guys will listen to this podcast but the last week of december uh we we ran our Arctic Week, or we're running the Arctic Week. And, and if you guys want to be more involved in, in any publications or reports that we write, please subscribe to the newsletter for the website. And I see you guys soon. Thank you. And happy New Year. Uh, if you listen after, have a great coming year. Thank you, guys.